Now turn with me, please, once again in your Bibles, Psalm 90. Psalm 90. This morning, I want to speak to you what I regard to be a New Year's message. But it's entitled, God's Math Class. So for those of you that love math, you're going to love this. God's math class, right? So what do you do in math class? You sleep. That's one thing. Yeah, sleep. Nobody really likes to pay attention to math class, do you? But I want to tell you, this is a very unusual math class that we're going to today because this is not man's math class. This is God's math class. And our text for God's math class is Psalm 90 and verse 12. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may get us a heart of wisdom or that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Let's pray. Be our teacher this morning, dear God. We're not asking you to teach us algebra or accounting, but give us the wisdom to learn how to number our days. We need your grace and wisdom to do this. We pray that you would send the Holy Spirit and teach us all this for your glory and for our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So do you like math? <laughs> so far. You good at math? Yeah, you good at math? I remember even as a little boy, as a preschooler, I like to count. And I made my poor grandmother listen while I counted to 500. So proud of myself I was. And yet it is common to hate math. Most of my children hated it. Absolutely hated it. And I remember trying to explain to them why math is important and they didn't want to hear it and even if you like math you may not like this class but even though you might not like it this is in my opinion and I've had a lot of math in my life I will go into all the math I've studied but in my judgment, this is probably the most practical and useful math class you will ever have. Moses brings us to God's math class. He says, who's the teacher of this class? God. Teach us what? To number our days. Why? So that we can become wise. Either get or apply our hearts to wisdom. 
And notice that the focus of this class is not divine algebra or spiritual trigonometry or heavenly calculus. Rather, God's math class is about lifespan accounting. Teach us to number our days. Remember, some of you may remember that last fall we had a dog in here named Daisy. Right? I'm going to tell you this. It's easier to teach Daisy algebra than it is to teach sinners to number their days. Only God can do it, folks. And yet this is God's math class. Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days so that we may get us a heart of wisdom. We are therefore totally dependent upon God to enable us to pass his course, his math class, on lifespan accounting. Now, Psalm 90, verse 12, takes place in a context And if we're going to pass this class, the only way we can learn to number our days is to take to heart the glorious realities that the inspired psalm presents to us in verses 1 through 11. And this is about deity and about mortality and about fury. Deity, mortality, and fury. First of all, if you want to learn to number your days, you have to come to grips with infinity, the concept of infinity. Now, in, in math, if you divide one by zero, oh, that, that, that went down well, then I knew that I was not going to be able to use math illustrations for this sermon. I just knew it. Okay? But the concept of infinity is here. No more math illustrations, because that was a, what? Divide one by zero? Huh? What? what are you talking about? What? Undefined. Well, you're supposed to be infinite. But anyway, forget it. We're not going down that road. I'm done with math illustrations. Yeah, that little symbol. I actually printed out that symbol, had it in the notes. And if I had a PowerPoint, I would have put the little symbol up on the PowerPoint. That's right. The little infinity symbol. I'm going to put it there. Right. So you've got to start God's math class with the idea of infinity. The idea of deity. That is eternal. Eternal deity. Look at verse 1 and 2. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The math class starts with this. Lord, you are our home. You have been our dwelling place. The dwelling place of God's saints, of his redeemed in all generations. He brings stability and security and shelter, everything we associate with home, to our lives. 
He has been the home of his redeemed in all generations. And this close relationship between God and his redeemed spans the entire length of human history from Abel to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David uh, to the apostles and to Christians everywhere on earth for the last 2,000 years. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. He is the God of the past. He always was. He is the God of the present. He ever is. He is the God of our future. He always will be. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. The supreme being. There is no limit to his life span. He always was. In the beginning... God created. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He always is, before Abraham was born, I am. He always will be. His years have no end. Scripture states clearly that he always was, that he now is, and he ever will be. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. And therefore, he is the security and the stability and the shelter of the life of everyone who trusts in him. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place, our stability, our security. Our shelter in life is not in home ownership in a safe neighborhood. It's not in a community of people that have known me all my life. And I remember not long ago, well, we were visiting, maybe it was long ago, but I still remember it, visiting my wife's sister and her husband in New Jersey, Walking distance they lived from where I was raised. And I remember walking the several miles that it was and walking past the street where I was raised and standing there and looking at that little ranch house where I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey, that for so many years I associated with home. And then when my parents moved, they Taxes became so high after they retired that they couldn't afford to live in that house anymore. And they moved into my grandparents' house that had been owned by my grandparents, oh, 10, 15 miles away in Passaic County. And they lived there. And I went there when I was in college, but it never, quote, felt like home to me. And then when we were married, we lived in all kinds of places. First, we lived in a little apartment on a highway. And then uh, we lived in a parsonage. And then moved back into that home of my grandparents. And then after 11 years of marriage, we moved into our first home where we lived for four years. Then we moved to Michigan. 
and rented for three years and then lived 25 years in our home where we raised our family. And now we rent a very safe, secure home owned by one of our deacons, a beautiful country setting. We have one good neighbor that came over to help us and make sure we're okay during the two and a half feet of snow. But most of our neighbors don't say very much because they have four legs. But some of them howl at night. We, got, we have more neighbors with four legs than with two. It's true. Nevertheless, so what, you, what in the world is your point? <laughs> but my point is stability and security, shelter and light, is not found in being raised in a community where everybody knows you're owning a house or just living in one place like a tree for 40 years. Real security and stability and shelter in life comes from God. And it comes from having a personal relationship with God as his redeemed. That's where security is found. So, I mean, it's true that we've moved around a lot in life and to the point where we don't have a burial plot like my parents and my grandparents and Ginger's parents. I remember my grandfather, who built that house in the 1920s, wanted his house to be within sight of his graves. Sight. He wanted to be able, someone to be able to see his house from his grave. Now that's all well and good. But uh, my grandfather's house now is run down. And the only ones that ever visit the grave, as far as I know, are Ginger and me. It's still in sight of the house that he built in the 1920s, but now, a hundred years later, nobody's looking. Nobody's looking. You can't find stability, shelter, security, building your house, living there all your whole life, and having your grave within sight of your house. You have to find stability, security, and shelter in God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Everyone who knew my grandfather, as far as I know, has long since departed from this earth. And no one who knew him lives there anymore. Remember driving past that house, I guess it was a couple of years ago, or maybe last year when we visited my grandparents' grave and took care of uh, the gravesite that was not really well cared for by the cemetery grounds. I remember how run down the place was. Thought to myself, what a shame. My grandfather, I didn't, I, I thought of, in terms of this adage, but I don't actually literally believe it. My grandfather, if he could see it from where he's buried, which is within sight of it, would, quote, turn over in his grave. 
if he could see what his house looked like? Of course, he can. What do you learn from that? Well, my point is very clear, isn't it? God is the same. He hasn't changed in a hundred years. And he is the stability, security, and shelter of his people. You have been our home, our dwelling place in all generations. So that's the first thing with regard to God's math class. It's the idea of eternal deity. A God who never changes. Make him your security, shelter, and stability in life. All right, second thing is mortality. Not only do you have here in God's math class eternal deity, but you also have, if you're going to learn to number your days, you not only have to come to grips with the eternal deity of the supreme being, you have to come to grips with human mortality and face it, the uncertainty of life in this world. Verses 3 to 6, look at this. You turn man to destruction and say, return, you children of men. Dust you are, and to dust you will return. For a thousand years in your sight are just like yesterday when it's gone, like a watch in the night. You carry them away as with a flood. And then he compares them to grass that grows up and doesn't last very long. Unlike the eternal, unchangeable, infinite God, humans are transitory. God is always here. He's still there where my grandfather built his house and where my grandfather's buried. He's still there. But our time on earth is short. Our lifespan in this world is limited. And Moses reflects on and illustrates just how short our lifespan really is. If anybody ever saw the painful reality and brevity of life Moses did, he frequently faced the death of his contemporaries. When he saw a whole generation of fighting men from 20 years old and upward die over the span of that time that they spent in the wilderness. God's unchangeable, eternal life puts the brevity of human life into proper perspective. A thousand years, a whole millennium for God is like a moment for a human being. The events of a thousand years ago are as fresh in his mind as yesterday is in our mind. You remember what you did yesterday? Remember what you had for breakfast? Remember what you had for lunch? You remember what you did on the 23rd of April, seven years ago? You remember where you were? Remember what you said? Remember who you talked to? Well, unless the 23rd of April, seven years ago, has some great significance for you, a day you'll never forget. You don't remember what you had for breakfast on the 23rd of April seven years ago. You don't even remember if you had breakfast. You don't remember where you were. You don't remember what you spoke to. You remember what day of the week it was? 
You don't, right? Now, you know yesterday was Saturday. You know that. You still remember that, don't you? But you don't even remember. I'm not saying I'm any better. I don't know where I was on the 23rd of April seven years ago. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue what I had for breakfast, what I had for lunch, what time I went to bed, who I talked to. I don't know. You don't know. You don't remember back even seven years with that kind of detail. You've got a vague memory of this or that, but God, he remembers back thousand years ago. And the events of 1020 A.D. are just as fresh in his mind as 2021 A.D. Just as fresh. He's there. He still remembers. He's got it all down pat. Doesn't forget anything. He remembers it all because he has infinite understanding and recall. He has beyond what we call, quote, a photographic memory. Never forgets anything that happened. Knows about it. Remembers it all. And there's more. Moses observes, you carry them away as with a flood. Now, we love to look out the back window where we live over in the shadow of the Catskill Mountains. And we look out our back window. We're about, I'm going to say, 16 to 20 feet above Catterskill Creek. And you can see the creek. And then on the other side of the creek, you can see a big farm field. And across that field, you can see all of the mountains and our little four-legged friends like to come out of the hills and come down across that field and you know the coyotes come out at night and the deer come early in the morning and once this summer a bear went rolloping across there. So we love to look out that window and see that beautiful, beautiful field and creek. And we wanted to have a white Christmas, but you know what? We had a wet Christmas. And there were two and a half feet of snow on the ground until Christmas Eve. And late Christmas Eve, it warmed up to 58 degrees and it started raining like crazy. And two and a half feet of snow melted in less than 24 hours. And it all came down the mountains and down the Catterskill Creek. And that creek rose five feet, 10 feet, 12 feet, 15 feet approximately, I'm guessing. I didn't get out and measure it, but I'm looking. And I thought of the hymn, Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. But the Catterskill Creek wasn't bearing sons away. It was bearing logs away. It was bearing trees away. It was carrying branches away. It was carrying everything away into... The Catskill Creek, if it got that far, because the eddy currents were depositing a lot of it along the banks. And then into the Hudson River, and then into the Atlantic Ocean. And I thought of all those trees and branches and logs and everything being carried away by that flood of the Catterskill Creek. And it struck me. That's what 
That's what we sang about this morning. Time, like an ever-rolled stream, bears all its sons away. Our lives are like those logs. All of a sudden, a flood comes, and down the river we go. And time in 2020 carried a lot of human logs down the stream. A lot of people. Isn't it true? Some people that we know, some very prominent people in the church, got carried away in our circles 2020. But it's not just them, it's all of us. Time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all its sons away. God alone knows, folks. Only God knows how long each of us will live in this world. God alone decides the lifespan of every human being. We don't know with certainty how long we have to live in this world. We know that death takes some away in infancy, and some in youth, and some in middle age, and many in retirement years, and only a few live for a hundred years. And we know that human lifespan has declined from almost a thousand years before the flood to now what Moses says, 70 or 80 years as a general rule and norm. And sometime God gives us a clear and unmistakable evidence that our end is very near, and we're diagnosed with a terminal disease, and we go on hospice care, and we set our house in order. But what we need to face is that all of us are mortal, mortality. Now, when I talk about mortality, I want to be very clear what I am saying and what I am not saying. I'm saying that when we speak about the mortality of the human race, that our lifespan in this world is very limited, and we don't know when it's going to come to an end. Only God knows that. I am not saying that our existence ends when we physically die. Not saying that. I'm talking about our lifespan. Talking about the fact that we're all mortal. And we return to dust. Our bodies die. The death of the body involves the separation of the human soul from the human body. And after physical death, After the separation, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, the separation of the human soul from the human body, the human soul continues to subsist, either in heaven or in hell. So when I say that we have a limited lifespan and that we have mortality, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that there's no life after death. The subsistence of the soul continues after the body dies. Either living with God in heaven or being spiritually dead in hell. A place of conscious torment. Like Jesus said to people to teach them, about the reality 
of living subsistence of the soul after death. Told the story of the rich man and the beggar. And after the rich man died, his soul was suffering in hell. Which brings me to the last thing you have to understand if you're going to come to grips with the brevity of human life and learn to number your days and you're going to pass God's math class. The first thing you've got to learn, the first concept for God's math class, eternal deity. The second concept you've got to learn for God's math class, human mortality. But the third and final concept, you've got to get it or you're not going to pass God's class, is divine fury. Invincible divine fury. Look at what he says next in verses 7 to 11. Why is it that they're carried away? Why is it that they carried away with the flood? Why is human life mortal, that is, subject to physical death? Why is that true? Look what he says. For, here's the explanation. We are consumed in your anger and in your wrath we are troubled. Divine fury. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. God knows what you really are. God sees right through hypocrisy. God knows how you really live. There's no hiding from him who knows everything. He knows you all together. You can hide from your family. You can hide from the people in the church. You can live a double life and get away with it. Some people for years get away with it. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't see it. God knows exactly who you are, exactly how you live. There's no fooling him. And the wrath of God is the reason for human mortality. The wrath of God upon human sin is the reason for human death. The wrath of God for we are consumed in your anger and in your wrath we're troubled. Verse 9, all our days are passed away in your wrath. We bring our years to an end as a sigh. We live for 70 years or 80 years but it's soon over. Verse 11. Who knows the power of your anger? God's wrath is incomprehensible. It cannot be fully comprehended. It's incomprehensible according to the fear that's due to you. The wilderness generation died under God's curse and judgment. They went to their graves through the wrath of God. Moses saw many of them ushered suddenly, irrevocably, into an eternity of endless torment and ruin. He said of them, we're consumed in your anger and in your wrath we're troubled. And similarly, we see our society living under the evidence of the wrath of God, which is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men according to Paul in Romans 1, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What truth? The truth that God made the world. If ever there was a society suppressing that truth, dear people, it's our society. 
Our society has rejected creation, replaced it with the lie of evolution, rejected the creator out of hand. And just like Paul said, because they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, God gave them up. God said, okay, you reject me? God gave them up. God abandoned them to their own lusts. God withdrew the restraining influences of his common grace. He gave them up. Let them do what they want to do. And he gave them up to promiscuity. He gave them up to perversion. And he gave them up to a lack of common decency. In Romans 1, 24 to 31, it says three times, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. This is the wrath of God upon our society. Is God withdrawing the restraining influences of his common grace and given a society that's rejected the light of nature that it sees, rejected him as creator, given them over to sexual promiscuity and sexual perversion and a lack of common decency, a society filled with selfishness, dishonesty, and hate and perversion and promiscuity. This is the wrath of God. Look at it. It's all around you. Moses saw the wrath of God in his society. Behold the wrath of God in our society. God gave them up. God said, go do your thing. Because they refused to have God in knowledge. Rejected the creator. Evicted him from public education. Totally evicted him. And worshipped and served man rather than God. Behold the wrath of God. You see it all around you. Behold the wrath of God. And it goes further. Because divine wrath is invincible and powerful behind, beyond comprehension. Who knows the power of your anger and of your wrath? You cannot conceive and understand fully and completely the power of that wrath to destroy God's enemies. That wrath not only brings about physical death, it brings about suffering of souls in hell. And ultimately, the wicked will be raised from the dead. There will be a resurrection of the just and of the unjust. And every human being, body and soul reunited, will stand before the judgment seat of God. And Jesus says, these shall go away to everlasting punishment. And their part shall be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone forever and ever. Who knows the power of your anger? Who can conceive of what it will be like, body and soul? to experience the wrath of God forever and ever in the lake of fire. Who knows the power of your wrath? Nobody knows it. When people have said, yeah, you know, that the church made up hell to scare people and control people. You know what, folks? No human being would ever make up something like that. People don't want anything to do with that. People didn't make that up. Nobody made that up. Nobody ever would. 
People don't want to make up a God like that. They don't want to face a God like that. They don't want to believe a God like that. In fact, what people actually say is, I'll never serve a God like that. No, maybe you won't, but you will face him someday. You may not serve him, but you will face him. And you will stand before him, and you won't overthrow him. You'll be there on judgment day. So will I. We'll all be there. One way or the other, we'll be there. And each one of us will give account of himself to God. And the righteous will go away to everlasting life in the new heavens and earth, and the wicked to everlasting punishment in the lake of fire. Church didn't make that up. People didn't make that up. God revealed it in his word. People never, ever, ever would have come up with that in a million years. People don't want to believe it. They want to say sin's not bad enough. Sin's not that bad. That deserves eternal punishment. That's what people think. That's not what God says. Nobody spoke about the everlasting wrath of God more than Jesus. Because it's not popular. It wasn't popular. That never will be. The thing is, if you want to be wise, you want to pass God's math class, you've got to come to grips with it. You've got to come to grips with eternal deity. And you've got to come to grips with human mortality. And you've got to come to grips with divine fury. And only in the light of those things can we truly number our days right and face realistically and truly and in a God-honoring way the brevity of life and our own mortality. I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Don't go to sleep in this class, please. Don't sleep in God's math class, please. Please pay attention in class. Take good notes. What did, what did God teach us in this math class? He taught us that there is eternal deity. He taught us that there is human mortality. He taught us that there is incomprehensible, invincible divine fury. And in the light of that, we read in verse 12, So teach us, Lord, you teach us to number our days. Write upon our hearts the reality of your eternal deity until we find our stability and security and our safety and our shelter in you. Write upon our hearts the reality of our mortality until we face our vulnerability right upon our hearts the reality of your divine fury that's incomprehensible and invincible until we make it our priority to get right with you. You're going to number your days right. You don't, here's the point. You have no idea how many days you have to live. You don't know. I don't know. But I tell you this much. You're alive right now. None of you is dead. Every one of us is alive, which means you have opportunity right now to get right with God. 
I don't know how much longer you have. I don't know. But I know that you have opportunity right now to get right with God and know that you're right with God. I entreat you in the meekness and gentleness of Christ, don't continue living one more day because you don't know how many days you have. Don't continue living one more day in your sin. But turn away from sin in repentance. Trust and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask him to save you. Call upon him. That's what he says. Him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He offers himself and the gospel is offered freely and sincerely to you. As I've said once, I'll continue saying it a thousand times if I have to. Christianity is not for good people who never did anything wrong. Christianity is for sinners. It's for bad people who deserve to go to hell. And we deserve to go to hell as much as you do. And we're not going. And you don't have to go either. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Cry out to him. Call upon him to save you while you're still alive. I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know how long you're going to live. But I know you're alive right now. Right now you are. So don't wait anymore. Because life is short and eternity is long. And you have no idea how powerful the wrath of God is. And you're not going to escape it if you're not right with God. And the only way you get right with God is through Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Well, that's what I wanted to say to you. Happy New Year. It is a happy New Year if you're right with God. If you have the wisdom to number your days, and this is the time to take into account. You look at your life. You look at the way you live 2020. Ask yourself what your priorities are. Have you set your priorities for things that really matter and things that are of tremendous eternal value? What are your priorities? What are your values? Are you setting those values and priorities and decisions and behavior in the light of the eternal God being your shelter, home, and protection, and in the light of the brevity of your life, and in the light of God's infinite wrath. Dear friend, your number one, absolute number one priority should be to get right with God and to make decisions and choices and values and behaviors in such a way in this next year that you reflect the wisdom of those who have learned and passed God's math class. So don't waste time. Time is precious. Don't, like, don't act like you have an infinite, unlimited lifespan in this world. You don't. I don't. Nobody does. So I entreat you that your choices and your values and your behavior in this coming year would reflect the fact that you passed God's class and that you have a heart of wisdom 
and you learned how to number your days and come to grips with God's eternity and your own mortality and the horrible, frightening, inevitable for those that are in sin, fury of the wrath of God. May God be pleased to bless his holy word. Let's pray.